Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. reading this morning. It's from the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, 
there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to a census, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, God provides what we don't have when we need it for a season. We all know that God provided manna, the bread from heaven, for the Israelites while they were in the desert. But after the people settled in the promised land, the manna suddenly stopped the day after they ate the first grain and unleavened bread of the new land. There was no need for God's protection from starvation. Now it was time for God's people to go back to working hard on their land for their food. I was looking at the state COVID site this week, and I was very happy to see that the number of active cases in Wood County has dropped under 30. In fact, on Thursday, it was only 14 cases. 14 cases means less than one case for every 5,000 people in the county. Now, I know that there's many cases that aren't being reported, but that's mainly because those cases are no worse than an ordinary cold for those folks. Between vaccines and people who already had the disease, we appear to finally be reaching that point where we can go back to normal. 
God provided us with vaccines and treatments and scientists who studied masks and ventilation and social distancing. You know, sometimes the message that came out of the government was confusing, but God helped us make it through. Though, just like the Israelites, some people were lost in the wilderness. But you know, the number of cases has dropped dramatically around here in the last month, and for that, we should be so thankful. But going forward, how about masks and social distancing? What about new variants that may come? Well, the best advice that I've heard is to treat the masks and the social distancing like wearing a raincoat or carrying an umbrella. You know when it's dry, you don't bother with either one. But when it sprinkles, you probably won't bother either. But you do dodge the raindrops and you get inside quickly. And when it pours, you put on the raincoat and you take an umbrella or you don't go out at all. And it's the same way with COVID or any other virus like the flu. If everyone's healthy, we don't need to bother. If a few people are sick, we'll watch our distance and get out of crowded situations quickly. But if the case numbers go back up, we'll put our masks on, we'll keep our distance, and we may not even go back out into the world for a while. It's the same way, it is this same way that we live with COVID and other viruses in the future. Treat the mask and the social distancing like the raincoat and the umbrella. But for now, at least in Wood County, the danger of COVID appears to be past. We're expecting dry COVID weather, or possibly the occasional COVID sprinkle. So it's time to come home. It's time for those of you who have stayed at home to return to your church. It reminds me of our gospel reading for today. It's a familiar passage from Luke 15. Jesus tells us a parable, a teaching story, which most people have heard, at least the first part of it. You see, Jesus was speaking to a very large mixed audience. On the one hand were a bunch of tax collectors. They were men who were collaborating with the government by collecting taxes on commission. They were not popular people because they had every incentive to declare that people owed more and more taxes because they received a percentage of all the money they could collect. So they often acted like organized crime, collecting insurance money. And with them were a large group of people that Luke collectively calls sinners. These were people who did not obey the Jewish laws, usually because they couldn't afford to. There were single mothers forced into prostitution, poor people who couldn't afford the proper clothing that was specified in the Jewish law, people who ate pork or shellfish, which were considered dirty and were forbidden under Jewish law, but they were often cheaper than the proper food. There were people who stole food and clothing, people who didn't make the proper sacrifices at the temple because they couldn't afford to or they were disabled in some way that kept them out of the temple. You see, the Jewish law prohibited people with certain skin diseases or who were lame or blind from coming to the temple. There were people who worked for or sold items to the Romans. They were classified as sinners. There were people who were addicted to alcohol and there were beggars. All of these people were classified by the people of the time as sinners. So on the one hand, there were the very wealthy tax collectors and there were the poor sinners. Now, on the other side of Jesus' audience that day were Pharisees and teachers of the law. 
You could recognize them because the men wore long, fancy robes with blue tassels. They wore little pieces of paper rolled up and put on their foreheads with Bible verses on them. Their hair was long and their beards were never cut. By their rules, anyone who didn't dress like them were sinners because the Old Testament clearly told them how to dress. They washed their hands before meals all the time. They never, ever ate pork or shellfish, so you couldn't invite them to your barbecue. They never worked on the Sabbath, which ran from Friday sundown to sundown on Saturday. And they were always found in the synagogues on Saturday mornings, reading and debating the law. The law that they found in the first five books of the Old Testament. That day, one or more of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law sneered about Jesus. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They were condemning Jesus for being nice and welcoming to the sinners instead of keeping his distance from them. Well, Jesus responded by beginning to tell parables. He told the story of how a shepherd will chase one lost sheep out of a hundred and how heaven will rejoice over the one sinner who repents. And he told the story of the woman who loses one coin out of ten and searches the house diligently and rejoices with her friends when she finds that lost coin. And he told them of how heaven rejoices over the one sinner who repents like she rejoiced over finding the coin. And he told the story of the man with two sons. And the first part of the story was clearly told for the benefit of the tax collectors and the sinners, the people who were not welcome at the Jewish synagogues of the day. And if you haven't felt welcome at a church, this first part of the story is for you. The younger son came to dad and said, Dad, I'm leaving. Please give me my inheritance now. And you can imagine the hurt in the father's heart to hear his son was leaving, but he divided things up and he gave the boy his portion. And the boy pulled together his loot and set off for a distant country. And when he got there, he spent his money in wild living. He bought drinks to make friends. He paid for women. He wasted money on fancy clothes and expensive food. And he eventually ran out of money just as a severe famine hit the country and so the price of food doubled and tripled, and he became a bit desperate. So he went to a man there, and he went to work on the man's farm, who sent him out to feed the pigs. Now we kind of look down a bit on pigs, but to a devout Jew, particularly Jesus' audience of Pharisees, this job was like cleaning latrines. Things were so bad for the son that he looked at the junk that he was feeding the pigs and thought, yeah, that wouldn't be so bad. I probably could eat that. But no one gave him anything. No food, nothing. Eventually, after some time, he came to his senses. Don't you like that? He came to his senses. He said to himself, my dad's hired hands have all got plenty of food, and I'm starving to death. So I'm going to go back to dad and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. And so the boy started to walk home. Have you ever been in a place where your poor choices have led you? Have you ever dug yourself into a hole? Have you ever been in a place where you're depending upon friends to give you a couch to sleep on? Or you've spent nights sleeping in your car or even on the ground, not by choice? 
Have you burned bridges with your parents or your relatives, your family back home? Was there a big fight the day you left or were thrown out? Do you realize now that things really weren't so bad there? This son had hit bottom. He was doing a terrible job with terrible people in a terrible place. He was deep in a hole. And you know what Will Rogers, the comedian of the 1930s, used to say? If you dug yourself into a hole, the first thing you need to do is stop digging. The young man, he started to walk home. And he expected a humiliating welcome involving a lot of I told you so's. Well, meanwhile, his father and his elder brother had continued to work the farm. But every day, the father gave a look in in the direction where his son had last been seen leaving months ago. You see, the father knew that the son had made a poor choice, but he never gave up on the young man. He knew how difficult the world could be, and he made a plan for how he would welcome the son home if and when he did come home. We often have children who have made poor choices in life. We have relatives and friends and neighbors who have chosen the wrong paths, paths which seemed good for them at the time, but which our experience and wisdom has taught us were not such good paths. Have you noticed, though, that the world's literature, and particularly the movies, are full of stories which are just the opposite of this parable? In the movies, the son or daughter leaves home and may struggle a bit, but almost always becomes super successful. And if they try to call home, dad or mom always hangs up the phone on them in anger. Hollywood glamorizes leaving home and tells us it will all be met with anger if we try to return home. I wonder why that is. That's not the story that Jesus told, though. What Jesus said was that when the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. The father had been expecting and hoping for the son to return. He had not chased him down, but he was ready and watching for the son to return of the son's own choice. And the man ran to his son, gave him a huge hug, and he kissed him. And the son said, as he had practiced probably 30 times on the way home. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father didn't follow the Hollywood script. He didn't say, I told you so. He didn't yell and scream in anger at the son. Instead, he yelled to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. I guess the guy didn't have any shoes. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And the son and the father and the the servants were all happy that the son was home again. The son had apologized and the father had forgiven him. All was right in the household again. And they celebrated their reunion. Now, if you felt you've lived the life of the younger son, you'll need to hear how this relates to God, Christ, and the church. The compassion and joy that the Father showed us is the way God the Father acts when his sons or daughters go away from God and then return to God. 
All is forgiven and a celebration begins. There's no harping on past sins and crimes and wrongdoings. There's just a joyful, joyful reunion as we once more take our place in God's household. If you've been walking without Jesus in your life, walking alone, trying your own attempt to make it in the world, maybe it's time to come home. Here at Cedar Grove United Methodist, we're looking for you to come home every Sunday morning at 1030. For Jesus has asked us to be looking to greet you with joy and love. But you know, there's a part of the story that's less well known. This second part of the story that Jesus told was for the benefit of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The people everyone saw as the good people. The men who always went to the synagogue every week and had followed the rules all their lives. Jesus tells us that there was one member of the family who was not happy about the return of the younger son. It was the older son. He had been out in the field working hard. When he headed back to the house, he heard the music and he saw the dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked him what was happening. And so the servant told him about his brother's return and the fattened calf feast underway. And this made the older brother angry. He wouldn't join the others in the courtyard. He was so boiling mad they had to send his father out to talk with him. When his father found out, he went out and pleaded with the older son to join them. But the older brother, he just complained. He said, I've always worked hard. I've always obeyed you all my life. But you've never even given me a young goat to enjoy with my friends while he gets the fattened calf. Despite all the bad things that he did, he gets this celebration. The father responded to him, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because your brother was dead and is alive again. I thought we'd lost him forever. But he's here, safe and sound, and with us again. Now at the time Jesus told this parable, there were many people who were upset with the sinners and the tax collectors, particularly the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to whom he was speaking this second part. It was hard work being a Pharisee, following all the rules of the Jewish law. It was hard work earning the money to dress right, to eat only kosher food, to buy and study the scrolls of the Jewish Bible. And yet it seemed to them that Jesus was telling people that they could get right with, with him and with God simply by asking God to be forgiven. And they were right. That was all Jesus was asking. That people recognize their failures and turn back to God, who was the source of all wisdom and knowledge and good advice. Yet it didn't seem fair to the Pharisees. It seemed to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that living for God should demand a lifetime of hard work, serious business, and sacrifice. They thought it can't be that easy to be right with God. And you know, even today, there are modern Pharisees in our churches that demand a daily sacrifice of hard work, of near-perfect living, and who never want to give people a second chance. There are entire churches made of Pharisees. They're like the older brother in Jesus' story. Angry, 
constantly complaining about people in our culture who are living a life they consider wild. They don't like what some people are doing, yet they, all don't, they also don't believe it's proper to let them have a second chance. You know, when I was over at Clarksburg, I can't tell you the number of times that a couple who had lived together for several years would call me up to ask if I would marry them. And I always said, of course. And then they told me of calling several other churches and no one would marry them because they were living together. And I always wondered why those other churches rejected people who were trying to get their lives together. At one of the churches I pastored, a couple of guys came to me and asked if they could hold an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting there. I helped them organize it, gave them the fellowship hall on Saturday evenings, and the meeting grew to 30 or 40 people weekly. They later told me that they had had a hard time getting permission to meet at many of the churches. I never understood why those other churches rejected people who were trying to get their lives together. And so, you see, the devil has succeeded in dividing the world into people who consider themselves good, like the Pharisees and teachers of the law, and bad, like the sinners and tax collectors of Jesus' day. The Pharisees don't want the sinners around, and the sinners have become convinced by the Pharisees that they can't come back to God. But here, here, we remember that we were once lost ourselves, weren't we? We try to follow the teachings of Jesus and his disciples on this, and we try to welcome all people. You know, in his second letter to the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul said he once had been a Pharisee. But Paul's dramatic encounter with Jesus on the Damascus road changed all that. Paul wrote, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Paul had come to know and learn that a person who has an encounter with Jesus Christ is so changed it's like a completely new person has been created. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, Paul says, who reconciled himself to us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, Paul says, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, this is the ministry of the church. The ministry of reconciliation between people and God through Jesus Christ. Nothing is more important than this. All the other ministries only work as they lead from this idea of reconciling people with God. And so we have a secret here at Cedar Grove United Methodist. Our secret is that, like the father in the story, you know, we have many, many people who are always looking out into our community for people who are trying to come home. There are people who run to greet them by giving them Bibles at schools and colleges and parades. And there are people who are listening to them in offices and fast food restaurants 
when they need advice on how they expect to be greeted by God. Yes, there are people here who have relatives and friends and neighbors who long ago left God the Father, but who are waiting and watching for their return too. And there are people who teach children about the love of Christ. We're deeply involved in this ministry of reconciliation. And if you're one of those people who wants to be reconciled to God, it's time to come home. Remind all your friends that Easter is coming on April 17th. And now is the time to come home and be welcomed in celebration by God's family. So come to the altar during this song. Come join us here any Sunday at 1030 and allow us to reconcile you with God, which leads to eternal life. Will you bow down before God and ask forgiveness for the sins you have committed as the younger son did in front of his father? Will you be humble and admit that you've missed your home with God? Will you lead your children and grandchildren and friends to bow in prayer? Will you show them what it means to be a follower of Christ? Will you pray for other people? Come to the altar and pray today. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.